Mm. Also an awesome place. Enjoyed about a small month there, mostly by myself. So that was a, a different place to travel by yourself than some of the other countries. But it was beautiful and so good, the food. That was so good. And when I wanted to leave there, um, that was right in the time that uh, Iceland had that volcano uh, eruption. Mm-hmm. So while I was on the airport, every flight got canceled. It was a crazy sight. And I'm sure that people that were around 9-11 on the airport saw the same thing. Mm. The whole airport just goes nuts when every flight gets canceled. Hi, I'm Alan Hill, the nostalgic vagabond. I lived out of a backpack for many years during my 20s and some 30s. I'm less of a nomad these days. In this podcast series, I'm catching up with old friends, wonderful people I've met in the Traveller's Trek. And what better time is there to catch up, reminisce, and see how everyone is getting on in 2020? I hope you enjoy hearing about our journeys as much as we've enjoyed sharing. All of us need role models in life, examples of people who overcome stiff odds and are still brave enough to pursue their dreams. On this episode, my guest is businesswoman, athlete, and seasoned traveller, Monique Huffens. Monique overcame physical adversity in order to leave her native Netherlands to work and travel all over the world. Her adventures took her to the Spanish Canaries, Australia, New Zealand, places in Asia like Thailand, and now finds herself establishing her new enterprise in Toronto, Canada, where we met for the first time over 10 years ago. On September 11, I zoomed into the GTA early in the morning to kind of go through Monique's journey, step by step, and discover what types of adventures and experiences formed Monique to be the kind of mentor she is today. Monique, how are you and where are you right now? Hey, Alan, I'm, I'm good. I'm in Mississauga, which is near Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Mm. My memory is trying to think, was it southwest or southeastern side of the GTA's Mississauga? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> it's not in the center, though. It's on one side, isn't it? It's on one side. It's on the, the west side of, Miss, of Toronto. Yeah, is it uh, Etobicoke? That's on the other side. Uh, no, t- um, eight of, uh, Scarborough is on the other Scarborough. side. Scarborough. That's the one I was trying to think so of it, earlier. So it's Toronto. Etobicoke is still Toronto. I've lived there as well. <laughs> mm. I uh, had a very quick uh, transition out of Toronto, Etobicoke, Mississauga. That was all in the course of almost a year. So, I see. Yeah. Now I'm farther and farther away from the downtown Toronto. So we're actually recording this podcast on September 11, which is quite a important date for a lot of people. It's the 19th anniversary since the Twin Towers were attacked by those aeroplanes in 2001. Now, that day really changed travel, especially air travel uh, for the future. And we're living in a very strange time now and this pandemic. Who knows whether coronavirus might change completely the type of travel or what travel might look like in the future, as did the incidents on 9-11 in 2001. I can remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, what time it was when I found out about that dreadful day on September 11. Can you remember where you were and what you were doing that day? I can, actually. I I was at high school, last year of high school, and I had economic class, which was the eight hour of the day. And 
as any teenager of any person by about the eight hour, it doesn't really matter what your teacher's trying to tell you, you don't care. <laughs> Which was my situation too. I remember him and later clicked in that he was trying to tell us that the world was a serious thing happening, right? And mm. I didn't listen. I was too busy with my own conversation or what I was doing. So I didn't realize still my mom told me to be quiet at home because she wanted to watch the news, which she never did, that I realized something big was happening. Yeah. For me, I was in Australia, so it was something that actually probably happened overnight. So I only found out about it the next morning. And the strange thing for me was, for some reason, I was ready to go to school about 15 or 20 minutes earlier than I normally would be. I don't remember why. Maybe I had a quicker breakfast or something. But in my house, when I was growing up, we never, ever watched the TV in the morning before school. We never turned the TV on in the morning, only at night. But for some reason on this day, and I was also in my final year of school, so I was 17, had literally months left of my high school to go. And because I was ready early and I had nothing to do, I turned the TV on, which is something I never do. I put on the, the, the main network and I just see these pictures that look like a movie of a building on fire and then a plane flying into a building. And I thought, oh, that's a strange thing to have one early in the morning. Flick to another channel. It's the same thing. Flick to another channel. It's the same thing. And I just was thinking, <laughs> mom, <laughs> what's going on? And then everyone in the family came down to the bottom floor. You know, we were all still getting ready for school and for work. And then we just saw this horrific thing on TV. Still went to school. And I was actually dreading my double English period that I was having that day. But it turned out to be quite a cool lesson because my teacher was originally an American. And she had immigrated to Australia when she was younger. And we spent that whole double English period just talking about real life and just real stuff. It was a very somber occasion, but it was also, I think, something that we all needed as a class to just uh, try to process a situation and maybe just forget about learning English for a little while, focus on humanity and real world stuff. So yeah, crazy time, eh? Very crazy time. Yes, absolutely. And I, I remember everyone was watching and I also remember my brother was somehow already watching TV and saw the second plane go like live, I guess. Mm. And he was screaming for my mom that something had happened. And he said the, the Twin Towers and we have them, I'm originally from Holland, in Amsterdam as well, mm. not as large. And my dad works by the Twin, or used to work by the Twin Towers in Amsterdam. So my first reaction with my mom was, oh my God. My, you know, my dad's there. And then they figured out it was the U.S. when you saw the TV. But yeah. I remember. Yeah, scary time. Yeah. 19 years ago, and it's still something that's very fresh in my memory anyway. I'm sure it's all over the news today as well. I, uh, yeah. Only just woken up, so I haven't seen any news. <laughs> or heard. I'll have to catch the news later. <laughs> so, Monique, you said you were originally from the Netherlands. I remember you were saying to me in an earlier email that when you were growing up, you used to go away traveling a lot with your family all around Europe. Was that usually by car or did you do that uh, by train? By car. Um, I guess in Europe you can travel by train. I am sure families do it. I Maybe a quicker trip to maybe Paris or Brussels. or But we uh, did like very many other people uh, went by car. You know, no air conditioning, packed up completely like a Tetris game. Mm. No room for anything. Go camping in the south of France every year. 
<laughs> every year. This was your summer family vacation. Yeah. And is that a particularly Dutch thing to do, to go away for the summer, go camping in, for example, the south of France or somewhere warmer? Or was it something more specific to your family? No, that was very common. I think uh, the south of France is probably the most common. Some people might go Italy. And then there's people that go more often. So they stay maybe in the country. They have a camping place there. But um, the weather in the Netherlands is uh, much like the UK, not great mm. and very unpredictable. So if you wanted to guarantee yourself of a couple of beach days and some sunshine, you have to travel. Yeah. What kind of memories do you have of these days? Did it kind of inspire you to travel even further afield once you were grown up? Absolutely not. I hated it. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I didn't like the car ride. I was always feeling sick. It was too hot, too crowded. I just didn't like, I was dragging. And then on the campground, you had to make new friends and they left again and I guess I like luxury more than I thought. <laughs> the whole camping thing was not uh, <laughs> not my thing. So when I sh I tried not to go on vacation as soon as I could. At 15, I already didn't go with my parents anymore. I didn't want to. So you were old enough to stay at home. Is that what the deal was after that? Yeah, grandma was around. Neighbors were around, you know. So your parents just went with your brother or did the parents just go by themselves? <laughs> no, for them. My brother wanted to still come. Those times are now, but back then my brother still wanted to go or had to go. I don't know. <laughs> so you hated going camping with your family when you were younger? Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it, the whole camping thing, I'm sure. And I was also a teenager, so everything is no good. Yeah. But it was definitely, um, I'm sure it was good times in there as well. We always went out for dinner and you go different places and it was pretty, but I didn't see travel as something you know, that I was, that it was like a good thing for me to do or that I was fortunate enough to go. I didn't see it like that at all. It was like, I had to go again. It was more like a family obligation. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So silly. And when you finished school and you were grown up, you left Holland, didn't you? And you took off to, was it the Canary Islands? I did. I went to the Canary Islands. Yeah. So um, in the last few years of high school, I had an injury, uh, a knee injury. So I, um, I couldn't walk. I had uh, crutches or uh, a wheelchair for most of that time. So I missed out of a lot of things and people had to help me all the time. When I was done with high school, I went into a rehab full time and really did everything on my health to get better, mm -hmm. which I did. So I found a job in Holland. Um, I always wanted to work in restaurants and everyone told me uh, I couldn't do that. Well, tell me I can't do it and I will do it. Um, <laughs> is that because of your knee problems? And obviously in hospitality, you're standing up and walking around all the time. Did people yeah. think if you've got a knee issue, it's just not going to happen? Yeah, you can't even you know walk right now. How are you going to stand 12 hours on your feet? But mm. when I got better, I, I could. I mean, I sure have my injuries, but don't we all? So I uh, worked at a restaurant that was uh, eight months a year on the beach because the Netherlands has a lot of water, as you might know. Mm. So during the wintertime, those entire areas where those um, beach restaurants are is completely gone and underwater. So they have to pack up everything. It's pretty crazy how that goes, but they put everything back on a campground and they come back in the summer. So I had four months of no work, guaranteed, because there literally wasn't anything. And I was kind of sick of being the girl that couldn't walk or, you know, the girl that needed help or whatever that person was. So someone told me that you could go to the Canary Islands and uh, it was sunny over there and you could just go there. And I never been on a plane before, never spoke any Spanish or English for that matter. I just decided to go. 
for a couple of weeks. That was the original plan. You were working as a teenager, right? Yeah, I was about 19. Yeah, 19. How was your knee at that time? Um, hit and miss. I wasn't able to do what I do, did afterwards, work like a you know 20-hour shift. But um, it was like a headache. Some people got headaches. I got knee aches. <laughs> if I iced it. Yeah, it's, it's still there. It's fine. <laughs> so you went down to the Canary Islands for a couple of weeks just to see what it was like. And did you have the intention of working there in the end? I don't know if I really had that plan because I'm not great with planning. Uh, so I had a ticket, knew that I was good. I left in November and I definitely was going to be back by December for Christmas time. Mm. I mean, it was never a question. So I wanted to maybe find a job, but I guess if I really thought about it, who's finding a job for two weeks? Mm, difficult. Really, it's difficult, especially with no backpacking experience at the time. <laughs> yeah. So did you come back to Holland after those two weeks? No, I... Uh, I stayed a little longer and then I found a job and a place to live and I found another job and another place to live and met people. So it went from like a couple months till before my job would start again, till the summer, till after the summer, till indefinite. Wow. So you went down there with sort of no plan and then you ended up just settling there and staying there. Got a job, yep. got a flat, made friends. Yep. And how long were you there for in the end? Two years. What was the work like? Was it a fairly constant amount of work or was it kind of seasonal as well like it was back in the Netherlands? Well, back then, um, especially Tenerife was basically nice weather all the time, like spring weather all the time. We had a couple of days of rain, but they were early days. So it was a big European tourist uh, attraction uh, because the alcohol was cheap, the flights were cheap, uh, all-inclusive wasn't a thing yet. So the restaurant did really well. And I worked at, I don't know, six, seven different restaurants and at a nightclub and, you know, you just kind of take what you can, but it is hard work for very little money, very much like resorts are right now, I think. Mm. How were your language skills at that time? Were you only really speaking Dutch and quite poor with your English and Spanish skills? Exactly. I, um, I never any learned any Spanish before that. I failed my English at high school. Um, <laughs> so I never thought of the fact that I couldn't, you know, do everything with speaking Dutch because I heard Dutch people would go down vacation. I'd never clicked in that if you want to work somewhere, you need to speak at least a little bit of the language of the country you're in. So my first job was in the kitchen and not in the front of a restaurant. I was doing dishes. and How was that for your knee? Fine. I think at that point I was at a stage that it didn't matter. You know, you're 20 and invisible. You, you can do anything. You want everything. I would walk to work. I lived in a place with a generator that barely ever worked. It was a 45-minute walk over a volcano <laughs> to get to work. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> so what are your most favorite memories from those two years in the Canary Islands? The beach. The, you know, constantly either we're working or laying on the beach. And again, coming from a country with a lot of rain, that was great. <laughs> and then when you finished your time in the Canary Islands, you moved right down to the bottom of the world, didn't you, into an Australia and New Zealand? Was it the beach again that drew you to those destinations? No, I always wanted to go to New Zealand. That was on my, uh, my radar. Um, I actually have some family there, like cousins, but we never really had much contact with them. But I knew they were there. And um, I had a niece uh, that went there years ago because she's a bit older than me. And I saw her pictures and I heard her story. And a lot of European kids want to go to New York or the U.S. And I always wanted to go to... Um, 
New Zealand, but I knew that was a very far flight. Mm. It was another reason to me to go to Spain, just so I had an experience on an airplane before I would go on a what, 24-hour journey. Right. Did you plan anything for your trip going down to the Antipodes, like with the Canary Islands? Was there no plan? Would you just make it up as you got there? Did you intend to work? Did you intend to travel around? Did you have an end date? What was the deal with that? Yeah, I was more prepared. I had a one year, as you well, uh, familiar with working holiday visa. Mm -hmm. So I could for one year work um, anywhere in New Zealand. So I flew to Auckland because I had some family there. They picked me up from the airport and I stayed there for less than a week. And within that week, I found a job uh, and an apartment in uh, downtown Auckland, which is uh, the main capital city of uh, the North Island of New Zealand. And I had a year, so I had the intention to work, travel, and work. Mm. And you fulfilled that year? Exactly, 364 days. <laughs> and did you stay in Auckland for work and then traveled around using Auckland as a base? Correct. And like, have, have you been in New Zealand? Yes, right? I, I actually have not been to New Zealand. Oh! Um, to me, it was the most perfect country to work and travel because it's so much smaller. So if you're in Auckland, you're pretty central. So if you had your two days off or you could combine a few days together because in the rest of the industry you switch your days every day of the week is a work day um, and then you could do like trips for day trips or two day trips or three day trips um, to the bay of islands or the north or the south it's beautiful and then i took a month to travel on the south island just traveled for that whole time by car i imagine yeah i had a car at the time and it was an event, like New Zealand's great for a van, to sleep in the van, but uh, I had a car, so uh, I went with my done boyfriend, and uh, we slept in the car sometimes, and sometimes we did some camping, and it was all very low budget, and we stayed in backpackers, obviously. Just a journey, like every corner in New Zealand on the South Island has a different view. Wow. What's your favorite place you visited in New Zealand? Uh, the Abel Tasman. It's the north of the South Island. It's beautiful. Yeah. And all the wineries. It's great. <laughs> it's really good. What was the coffee like when you were there? Funny enough, I didn't drink any coffee, but it was a big <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you still not drink coffee? I do a little bit. I started in the, during COVID. That was my, uh, my COVID. Is thing. that right? Well, I had plenty of time. <laughs> so you've only just started to drink coffee this year. But I made plenty of coffees because working in cafes and in New Zealand, the latte art was the first time I've seen it. The first time I see coffees to go. First time I've seen people being so obsessed with how the coffee tastes and looks. It's like, wow, really interesting. So I tried it, too bitter. But I learned how to make it, so it's something. What year were you in New Zealand? 2006, seven. It was different. People were so fussed about how their latte looked with the little leaf in it. <laughs> And the ratio to milk, which is great now, but then, and I saw people's coffee to go all the time. Another thing people didn't just ask for white or red wine. They actually knew their wines and their grapes. Was, wow. Yes. They're very picky over there. <laughs> very different to your experience in the Netherlands. Yeah, or in Spain. People just drank whatever was cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever do any of those coffee competitions? I know are quite big in some of the cafes in Australia and New Zealand. No, I've never dared to go uh, in those, but I've seen them and I've worked with people that are really good at it. And I've done, uh, you know, some barista courses, but no, I never got that good. Because the, the whole drawing the images in the foam is quite a skill, isn't it? Oh, it's really hard. Did you master drawing the leaf? The, not leaf, uh, I'm better at hearts than okay. easier. <laughs> 
but you need the right milk and the right coffee machine and the right <laughs> temperature. And... So you spent one year in New Zealand, is that right? Correct. Yes. And then did you go on to Australia? I did because while I was in New Zealand, I, I met lots of backpackers and lots of other people and t tourists because I was working in a tourist type restaurant. And um, everyone was talking about Australia and it was so close. And I found out that they have another working holiday visa there. It was literally like 150, well, I guess, New Zealand dollars or to get over there. And it was an hour flight or something. I don't even know how long the flight is. So why not? I figured even if I stay for two weeks, it's worth it. I stayed three years. I was worth it. <laughs> so you went from Auckland. Did you go into Sydney? No, I went to Brisbane because that's the shortest. Auckland to Brisbane with your, was it a one-year visa that they gave you? One-year working holiday because of Holland. I know some European countries, including the UK, get two years. But uh, the Netherlands only get, maybe it's changed, got only one year. So you went to Brisbane, again, with a similar plan to be very flexible, but with an intention of working and traveling for at least 12 months. Correct, yes. And then why did it turn into three years? Who knows? <laughs> the weather? No. I, um, again, I found a nice um, a job that wanted to, to sponsor me. Mm. So uh, because you needed an, a reason to stay so they could give me a, a job because I was working in Tawantan which is just north of Noosa, north of Brisbane, south of the Great Barrier Reef, which was not like a main hop like Sydney would be or Melbourne. So they actually really needed foreign workers um, to work. So it was much easier to get a visa when you live not in the main cities because they need help. I imagine they get so many people who just come to the big cities and less people who want to stay in the smaller cities. So they want to keep you. So they'll sponsor you. Yeah for year by year i think it was a two-year work permit i got after your original one-year working holiday yeah visa yeah okay and that was through the sponsorship so what was your what was your job that you were doing to get that permanent um to get that work sponsorship working in a restaurant again it wasn't very complicated you didn't have to do um you could do like fruit picking i think for x amount of months uh Mm. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And then you can say, <laughs> yeah, I've done it one day. It was great. Um, <laughs> and I was like, this is too much work. I was oranges. No, it was super fun, but yeah. not my thing. Uh, yeah, you can work on a farm and all of that. So if you don't have a sponsorship of a job that wants to sign you on for at least two years, because your visa will be connected to that particular job. Um, but if you do farm work or uh, fruit picking and stuff like that, you can actually get a visa that you can do whatever you want with for two years. Yeah, that's right. It's... As long as you stay out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You do your, your three month, is it, of um, picking and then they give you an extra yeah. year on your visa to travel for another year. Yeah, it's it's quite a quite an ingenious little plan that is. And so many people do it, though. You've met many people that did it. You were saying earlier that in the beginning, your language skills in English and in Spanish were lacking. So when would you say that you really, I mean, because your English is absolutely fine. And ever since I've known you, it's been absolutely fine. Was, was, it, was it living in New Zealand and Australia that really challenged you to master your English skills? Uh, yeah, New Zealand. Because in Spain, there were like conversations going on in four different languages at any given time. Between the German, the Dutch... Um, Hungarian, Spanish, English, like everyone spoke their own language and you all just kind of went for it. But when I came to New Zealand and I was watching the news, I was like, I am so far behind. I have no idea what just happened. Right. It was fast. They have an accent. I was shocked. But then a year later, I was much better. 
was it the fact that you were fully immersed in an English culture? You were, I mean, I guess there were no Dutch people to speak to except your family back home on the phone. You were just forced to speak English. Exactly. And that's the best way of learning any language. I still think it is like, surely it's great when you get a base at school or, but if you can speak it at home or go somewhere, if it's friends or Germany, you'll learn the language. It doesn't matter what your background is. You will. You have to. Otherwise, you just won't survive, will you? Especially in Australia and New Zealand, where they just won't talk to you yeah. in anything other than English. <laughs> no, if there's Dutch people anywhere, but you're going to have to find them. So, Did you take any classes or were you just making mistakes and working in the restaurant and just getting by? Just getting by, like working in the kitchen, you know, learning the language. Um learning the days of the week while you're walking somewhere. Um, I had a little book because no smartphone mm -hmm. at the time. <laughs> and make mistakes, and I still make mistakes. And sometimes people point stuff out, and I'm like, really? In the last 20 years, no one could be bothered to tell me I've been saying this wrong for 20 years? Because <laughs> people are afraid, and they know what you mean. I have some examples like um, uh, gloves for the wintertime. I called them hand shoes for years. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> have you got any other examples? Um, Water, like um, I remember in Australia, I said something and I'm like, oh, the water is very undeep, but it's shallow, not undeep. But like things like that, everyone knows what you mean. But it's not English. So they're like, eh, no, but if, I don't know. It sounds English to me. It's really nice because when you're speaking Dutch, is undeep like the translation? Does that make sense in Dutch language? It does. So do hand shoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's where so. it gets lost in translation. But that's what's so funny about languages as well. Yeah, people, I, I imagine in some cultures, perhaps, you know, Australia and New Zealand, they don't want to upset your feelings by saying you're wrong. But sometimes that's actually a good thing because you won't get upset. You'll just learn, won't you? Oh, yeah. It's super funny, especially now. It's like, really? <laughs> I said, oh, I still don't know. I, I always said taking pictures, but it's making pictures or the other way around. Now I confused. Uh, you probably were saying making pictures instead of taking pictures. Making pictures yeah. for years. And yeah. And again, is that a Dutch translation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Must be. But it's just so in your head. And the same if I now speak Dutch to my mom, my grammar sometimes is Englandized, that's to say. Or I automatically go speak in English because I get excited about something that happens over here. Mm. I switch, but I don't realize I switch languages. Do you ever do half and half? Like in, a, in one sentence? Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm very passionate about something, if I'm tired or when I might possibly, it never happens though, when I drink too much, then it happens too. <laughs> when you were in Australia, you're in Queensland in the Northeast where you were based for your work. You were saying that you were locked in to your sponsorship. So you had to work at one place for those two years, right? Three years almost, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to travel around the continent much? Uh, I did a pretty good job because... Um, well, before I started working, I did some traveling, uh, like Surface Paradise and mm. Brisbane and more around there. And then um, the job I had and sponsored me was actually closed for three months for a massive renovation, mm. which was perfect. <laughs> so uh, I three months that I couldn't work. So I went to Melbourne, uh, Sydney, uh -huh. Blue Mountains. I think I went all the way to the Great Ocean Road to the end, Adelaide. Yes. And yeah. then kind of come back. And that was all by car. So I stopped you know, all the places on the way. And then uh, later on, I went a couple of times towards the Great Barrier Reef. And I also went to the Outback. Really? Yeah. The only place I didn't really see was the North, North and Perth. I thought about Perth, but as you know, same as Canada problem says, the inland flights are expensive. Yeah. It's a long way. 
you know it is a long way and and the thing similar i guess both to australia and canada is it seems that there's so much more on the east side and just less on the west side in terms of cities and populations i mean the landscapes is is another it's another thing because the landscapes are beautiful all over the place but yeah taking that flight which is a long way it's expensive and just to go really to a couple of cities it's sometimes if you don't have that much cash it's a difficult decision to make isn't it yeah so my plan was always because i absolutely loved australia and i always feel like i'll be back there one day and then there's to fly into perth because if you do it as a stopover or wherever you come from it might be so I still want to see that area as well. You know, you can fly direct from London to Perth these days. You can? I yeah. You. London to Perth is, is a direct flight. 17 and three quarter hours or something silly like that, but it is a direct flight. I also went, um, because I had to, I went back for vacation uh, the f- one time when I was in Australia back home. Because mm. in the meantime, I hadn't really been home in about five years at the time. Wow. So um, I went to travel as well in those three months back home. That was right during the recession, I guess. The flights all of a sudden got super cheap. Like I literally paid almost nothing to go back and forward as long as you paid in full and without cancellation. So when I heard that, I'm like, I have no excuse not to go. But oh, that flight is long for three weeks. If you stay five years, it's fine. But <laughs> Yeah. So you went back from Australia to the Netherlands just for three weeks. But I imagine your flight was at least 30 hours long. Yeah. So in the three weeks, or that was including the flights. So I think I was in Holland for two weeks. I mean, it was good to see my family, but yeah. I also wanted to know if I wanted to live back in Europe. I needed to know that for myself. And um, the answer was not really, <laughs> but I figured it out. You went back to Australia after that brief visit to your family. And then mm-hmm. your, I imagine your visa ran out for the sponsored, the sponsored visa ran out. Yeah. What did you do after that? Well, I had a few options. Getting married? No, <laughs> you can stay that way. But that wasn't an option. I even looked in becoming a hairdresser because at that time you could become a hairdresser and get a permanent residence. Wow. That's over. That was gone. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a mistake on the list. But <laughs> Was that maybe a, a recession thing as well? Maybe. It was right on there with being a doctor and everything else. So I'm not sure what happened. Because <laughs> like that, well, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And then I thought, oh, you know, it is far away, like the other side of the world, as you know. Um, so I was like, yeah, my parents getting older. And I missed everything, of course, in my entire adult life, from weddings to baby births to whatever, funerals. I was never there. So I was like, man, I can never, if something happens to them, I, I can't come back. Like, I can't afford it, and it takes too long. <laughs> yeah. So then I found out that Canada also has the one-year working holiday visa. So I thought, oh, let's do some traveling, go home. Oh, no, it wasn't going on. Just traveling and then go straight to Canada. Spend there for a year, travel through the U.S., and then go back home and grow up. That was basically the plan. And this is what you were thinking of while you were still in Australia? Yes. But what actually happened in the end? So I applied for the Canadian visa. I went and did some traveling again in Australia, and then I went to Thailand. Mm. Also an awesome place. Enjoyed about a small month there, mostly by myself. So that was a... A different place to travel by yourself than some of the other countries, but it was beautiful and so good, the food. That was so great. And when I wanted to leave there, um, that was right in the time that uh, Iceland had the volcano uh, eruption. Mm-hmm. So while I was on the airport, every flight got canceled. It was a crazy sight. And I'm sure that people that were around 9-11 on the airport saw the same thing. Mm-hmm. The whole airport just goes nuts when every flight gets canceled. It's a really insane feeling. And this was prior to Wi-Fi and cell phones, right? So you have no idea what's going on. So you're like, 
what's happening? And you can't, you know, you're in Thailand. It's not that I spoke any Thai. So it wasn't that I was going to ask someone like, oh, what's happening? The whole world's falling apart. Can I go home still? Like, no. So you were looking up at the board like you do at an airport mm-hmm. and seeing your flight, your flight number. Oh, okay, there it is. And then the whole board just goes cancel, 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 cancel. And then it's like an apocalypse. Yeah. And everyone starts, you know, to panic. And that's now I can realize that things happen during an attack or people react pretty insane. It was a bit of a scary time. And uh, if you ever been to Thailand, like even going towards the airport, there's tens of military people with really big guns standing there on a good day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's like, mm. so what happened? Did, did you, did you get stuck at the airport? Did you go back into the city? What, what did you do? No, I didn't go back into the city because I didn't really know where to go, how to get, I mean, you could get a taxi, little driving thing, but I also didn't know how long this was going to take and what was happening. I still didn't know. People told you stuff, but it seemed kind of weird, like an Iceland volcano. I didn't even know if that was the thing that anyone told me. I was just like, okay. So I slept on the airport for a little bit, but yeah, I also had my entire life with me because I came from three and a half years of stay, four years at that time, staying in that side of the world. So it, it was a bit of a crazy time and slowly flights were going out again. Um, so I basically just kind of sat there, tried to ask people. I had a computer at the time, but no Wi-Fi, I don't think, or maybe just didn't know how to work it. <laughs> <you can understand. laughs> yeah, slowly flights went on and eventually I got a, I think it was about two days later, got on a flight to, um, to Germany or Austria, Austria, I think. And then you go to Austria, but then in Austria, you don't know how to get farther than that. And there's no answers and everyone has the same question. So that was a, a train trip and, a, you know, using your uh, strong elbows as a female and your tears as a young girl <laughs> to get what I wanted. It was definitely an emotional roller coaster. More skills in manipulation. Really had to play into people. It works. I got home <laughs> and I was so tired. From Bangkok International into Vienna, I imagine. Austria, and then took a train yeah, home Vienna, you're right. across Europe. Yeah, I trained to Germany, and then another train from Germany to home. And it sounds really easy now, but it wasn't at the time. And there was a lot of running and a lot of elbow work and a lot of tears to get a ticket because there were no hotels, no rental cars. Because even you met up with people, we're like, oh, we just rent a van and we all drive to Belgium. I think they were from Belgium or something. There were no rental cars in Vienna. There were no hotels. There were no buses. There were nothing. Yeah. All of the airports across nearly the whole world were shut down until the ash cloud cleared up. Mm-hmm. So the people who were on other yep. flights, especially internal European flights, were all taking trains and buses and cars, rental cars. So th- there was just nothing left for you when you got there. No. And again, you didn't have a smartphone and no apps and no... Remember I had a flip phone. I called my mom that I was in Austria, but they must have gone through a terrible time too because not knowing where I was or what I was doing, which they were at that point kind of used to, but normally they assumed that I had a bed to sleep in or a job to go to or whatever, right? But this time I was just hungry, tired, and cranky. How many days passed from when you first saw the cancellations on the board at the airport to when you finally got home? I think it was all in all not that long, maybe four okay. days. But four days without sleeping in a bed, I imagine. Yeah, you slept on the train and in the plane and it was just a, a messy time. And it felt like an adventure. It's quite an adventure, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> like in the end, it was good. And like, you know, you're in the train and you know and did the wrong side of the train because that's a European thing that trains without stopping just kind of 
disbark from each other and each go a different direction and go possibly to a different country. <laughs> so I was in the wrong side of the train, so you know when it stops, you had to run to the end of the train, run out of the train, run in the train. <laughs> oh my god. And you were saying you had all your yeah. life with you. So how many bags was that? I had a big backpack, mm-hmm. I guess a laptop back then, and I had um, one of those big duffel bag, travel bags that's supposed to be on wheels, but they're not really. But it was heavy because it was full. And I had my winter coat with me, which was good. Okay. <laughs> so I needed it again. <laughs> you finally got back to home in the Netherlands, but you'd already more or less said to yourself that you don't want to be in Europe at the moment. So you went to Canada. Yes. I had to wait because um, at least two weeks, I feel like it was because, um, yeah, the flights were back up and running, but the people were still scattered around the world. No different than happened with COVID when people started flying again or, you know, people had to go where they, there was no cheap flights and there were no standby flights and there was no um, uh, nothing for a couple of weeks. And then um, I went uh, to look online and I found a really cheap flight to Toronto because I had no plan in Canada where I was going to be. So I just wanted a place. I looked at Vancouver, Ottawa, Quebec, I guess, wherever your yeah. flights are going to. But Toronto was the cheapest and it uh, arrives in the middle of the day because during my travel experiences, I had a few times I landed in a new country in the middle of the night and I realized that's not very handy if you don't know anyone or don't know where to go and it's pitch black. It's not helping the situation. So you were already armed with your Canadian work holiday permit. Yeah. You knew you wanted to go somewhere in Canada. And you just went mm-hmm. whatever was the cheapest option from Amsterdam. And that was Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense now, but at the time, it could all be the same to me. I didn't even know I was traveling to North America. I had no idea about Canada. You went in blind. Yeah. I knew they eat salmon, and that's not even really true. But And you knew that they spoke English mm-hmm. and true. French? Yeah, I think I knew that. <laughs> How do you, do you speak French? Petit peu. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. I did at high school, but then I never used it again. Yeah, yeah. So if you had have flown into Quebec, things could have been a lot different than what they are now. Yeah, I would have been here. Probably wouldn't be still in Canada right now. <laughs> well, who knows? But you'd be speaking French. Yeah, or maybe. <laughs> it's hard. So you flew into Toronto in 2010. Yeah. And that is where I met you. Yes. In the Canadiana hostel in May, it was in 2010. I had a chat with you and mm. I met you probably the day before or I think I had booked in for a week or something at the hostel, just wanting to stay still in a place for at least some days rather than every couple of days moving because I'd actually gone from Seattle into Vancouver and I was heading east all the way until I would end up in New York and New Jersey for when I was going to start my job for the summer in the States. But I got to the point where I just wanted to stay still for a bit. So I booked in for a week or so in Toronto and I was in this hostel and the hostel was really cool. So I was quite happy to be there for that long. And I was meeting many, many cool people, you in particular. And I remember you and Emily and Johanna and Doreen were like this awesome foursome. You were all kind of in the same situation where you were all European and you were all on this work holiday permit and you were just getting on with it, figuring out, okay, do I want to stay in Toronto? Do I want to get a job here? Where am I going to live? And just going through the motions of 
kind of settling as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And I imagine for you, that was something that you had already done a bunch of times. So you kind of knew just how to get on with it. And for me, it was a little bit foreign. I didn't know how to do that in a foreign country. While I was chatting with you guys, I was downloading a lot of information and remembering, hmm, maybe when I finish working in the USA, I'll come back here and kind of copy you and do something similar now that I've seen you guys do it where to look for houses, apartments, and best places to find jobs and good parts of the city to live in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing that a few years later. But you kind of, you, you girls kind of inspired me to come back to Toronto because I saw how you guys did it. And I thought, yeah, I think I want to do that as well. Awesome. A shame that the other three left Toronto pretty quick, but. <laughs> and you've stayed and you're still there. I know. 10 years later. Emily came back. Emily came back. Did she? She was my roommate um, two years ago for a little bit. Is that right? Oh, wow. Yeah, we're still friends and she came back. But she's gone again. She left me again. She left you again. <laughs> Things go around in circles, don't they, I suppose? No, we'll just wait. She'll be back. <laughs> we were in the Canadiana for a, a, a week or so. I remember we went on a, a, very, a very funny pub crawl with these French guys. Do you remember that? Yeah, the friends guys. I lived with one of them for a while, I think. He was one of her roommates. Yeah. Jean-Paul? Jean. Yeah, yeah. I remember he used to uh, get through one or two bottles a night of wine. Oh, my God. Just, uh, when I used to live with Emily, Jean-Paul, and one other person that we met at the Backpackers, because four of us moved to the same place, mm. I would definitely go to work when they're still be drinking in that tiny little kitchen. So they were living the Backpacker life much longer than I did. So yeah, pop curls, I've done one and that was with you. We were even putting up a picture the other day. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to post that. Yes. Yeah. So you've only ever done one pub crawl in your life. Yeah. And that was that one because I was in Canada and I was in the backpackers and I met so many cool people and they always went out and I was like, I should really do this one day, you know, this going out thing and a pop crawl and I've heard about it and I've seen it. I, I can't drink very well. <laughs> I don't drink very much. I am really, like two bottles of wine would knock me out for like two months. Like yeah. I went because I wanted to, I really wanted to live the real backpacker life, how I imagined that would be. It's like eating, you know, spaghetti with ketchup and going on pop crawls. And it wasn't my thing. I, I, I want to go to the gym and eat my vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I am so boring, but I tried. You, you did the experience and you enjoyed it. Tick off the... Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but it was fun. Like, it was fun. And I obviously been out before, but then you go to one place and people don't really notice that you don't keep ordering shots. I, I normally just on the other side of the bar. That's just more my spot. <laughs> Serving the drinks. Because I've served you at the bar when you came back to Toronto. You've been in Canada for 10 years now. So I imagine you got your initial work holiday visa then you got another visa then you got permanent residency are you a citizen now no so what's your status i am a permanent resident okay um so funny are you gonna release it to the government (laughs) i am but i'm only till this month because i reapplied in april but something has happened in the world so people are not uh, working the way they normally work so my pr card actually expires but i am i have reapplied and i know i've done everything to get another five years of permanent residence but i'm waiting so regardless of what happens in the world i cannot travel right now <laughs> yeah and i imagine the COVID situation has really retarded the 
efficiency at the the immigration's office for them to process. Right. So I, maybe our cards are just like automatically extended because no one that we're not priority right now. Like people like uh, you know, mm. there's a way more important things to deal with right now, or people that need papers because they have nothing. So I don't think there's a rush, which is fine. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, yeah, and I imagine Monique, you also have no criminal record, so there's no reason to kick you out. <laughs> really try not to do that. <laughs> um, but I was on a working holiday visa, then I got a uh, young professional visa, which is something Germany and Holland can get for Canada, because we don't get an automatic two-year working holiday visa. And after that, I got um, another sponsorship, another work permit. Similar to the one you had in Australia? Yes. Only a lot harder to get here because I was in Toronto and there's a lot more people in Toronto want to work in restaurants than there are there. So that was a lot harder and it was definitely a few tense moments with a few rejection letters from the government and interesting time because you literally don't know when they're going to kick you out of the country. <laughs> um, but they did it. Yay, Canada. Um, and then I got a working permit and from there I applied as a Canadian experience because at that point I had two years of management experience in Canada. You do your English test, you do your interview, you do your things, and then you get a PR card. Right. And now I can apply for a citizenship, but I haven't because Holland doesn't allow dual citizenship. So you'd have to sacrifice the Dutch one if you wanted to have the Canadian one. The European one. True. Like the True. whole European Union yeah. one. So okay. I don't think I should give that up. Do you ever get homesick? No. Do I get family sick? A little bit. Right. Like my mom went to a bit of a medical scare, uh, a form of cancer a couple of years ago. And then you realize you can't, you know, you're far away to support, but she's healthy and good now. So that, that is the only thing. But so when I go there, it's nice to hang out with my family. The rest, I don't, you know, I have some friends there. But again, if you haven't seen them in 20 years, life is different, right? Everyone changes in 20 years too, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like Canada. I like Canada a lot. And also going through all the times you're going through now, I think it's a good place to be. So I had in the meantime as well, my own, I don't know, plug it in here, my old, uh, my own restaurant, which I did like a, a food from around the world. And during that time, um, obviously restaurant owning sounds great, but it's tough. <laughs> and there's not that much money going on in the beginning for sure. So I also had to pay my personal rent. So I did uh, Airbnb right. in my uh, own house, um, a room. And uh, that was good because I met a lot of people. And because I had that extra space, also my family could become my, not my paid Airbnb guests. But so in that couple of years, I had a lot of visitors. Mm. It was really, uh, really good. So I didn't have to go there. They came here, which is the best situation. In 2016, January 1st, I got um, the keys to my own restaurant. I had to renovate it and build it and make a menu and everything. Um, at the same day, uh, my damn boyfriend decided that he didn't need me anymore. So that was a bit of a like, okay, well, that's a bad situation. So I told him I was going to keep the apartment, but I wasn't sure how I was going to pay rent by myself. So I got uh, two roommates and that was not good. <laughs> uh, so I did that for a few months. And then I, um, I don't know, I, I've been an Airbnb person myself and it's kind of the next thing now backpacking, you know, is getting more and more expensive or farther out of the cities. Mm. So I figured I have a room, a nice room. I had a nice king bed I bought for that. And I was never home anyways. So people literally stayed with me for two years, um, basically consistently. I just needed one night to reset because I often didn't come home till very late. So I needed to wash and clean. So do you know how many guests you had in that time? Quite a lot, I imagine. 
Yes, a lot. I was a super host all the time. I had so many, uh, because I had the two night minimum and then I needed the one night to reset. So some months were a bit more work for me because it was two nights, two nights, two nights. Mm. So that's in this particular month, I would have had at least like 20 different people over the floor because some were by themselves because I was a female by myself. So I attracted a lot of female solo travelers as well. And a lot of couples mm-hmm. or two girlfriends or something like that, or a mother and a daughter came to travel. Um, a lot. What was the most obscure country that you had a guest come visit? So many uh, Asian countries that I wasn't familiar with. Mm. I had so many people from the most people from Mexico. I had people from Iceland, people from Europe, I had people from Mississauga. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Did you get much chance to actually spend time with him or were you so busy with the restaurant you kind of couldn't really hang out? Um, was a hop- some people I literally didn't see other than the key exchange. Uh, some people came to the restaurant and I was, wasn't too busy, we had time to chat and other people were there maybe on days that I was um, like holidays or something that I wasn't working or not as much. Mm. I definitely had some really interesting late night or early morning conversations with people with uh, because they would be up cooking food because they either jet lagged or they just have completely different type of routine than maybe I had. And uh, a lot of people, yeah, t- travel for like a year and then they do only Airbnb, which I thought was so cool because backpackers are great because you're meeting a lot, a lot of people, right? But if you're as mm-hmm. a couple or you're just slightly older sometimes, it can be very tough to be in a backpackers all the time because, yeah. you know, bunk beds and very little sleep. <laughs> depending on the type of hostel you're in for sure yeah i agree so some people that are couples or whatever do they do have a mix of both because sometimes you just want some alone time or some you know your own shower is really nice sometimes yeah exactly yeah i'm I'm a big fan of mixing it up i still like mm-hmm. hostels i have done quite a few airbnbs more recently again because i'm a bit older mm-hmm. different situation i have a bit more money as well yeah. But I, I quite like to balance it out. I still do couch surfing from time to time. I like to just get all kinds of experiences and if possible on a particular trip, if it's say three weeks or a few months long, if I can just balance out the type of accommodation that I'm staying in, I'm happy to do that because I just like the variety. Totally. And, and, I, and I agree with that. And I think like some places like look at New York and maybe Toronto has the same problem. There's less and less backpackers because they can't afford it, right? And so staying in a backpacker became expensive. So if you have two people, sometimes it's cheaper to have an Airbnb if you not have your own. So with me, you're staying with someone, right? Mm. It's cheaper to stay in an Airbnb than it is in some backpackers, which is kind of sad. Because even when I was backpacking or sleeping in my car and stuff, because sometimes it wasn't worth to pay for the night because you're running to do something at night and you need to be back up in the morning. And, you know, I don't know if I want to sleep now in my car, but when I was 20, I, I didn't care. I slept fine. Like I did. I didn't care. And showering, whatever. You jump in a lake or it, it's fine. You can brush your teeth at the cafe. Like you, you get really creative and you just don't care anymore. Yeah. Do you think if you had not have had these camping experiences as a, as a young child, you might have looked differently at this kind of roughing it style traveling? Maybe. But, or I think my camping trips were more, <laughs> more organized than this was. But yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> I think so. So I guess maybe it wasn't all bad. No, it wasn't all bad. And also with Airbnb, I've stayed in Airbnbs as well. I've never, oh no, I did. Because most of the time I like to stay in Airbnb where the host is there or the the person because you get to still interact with the local because as you know, with traveling as well. If you just stay with the tourist, you only see such a small part of it. I agree. I really like to meet up with some locals. And that's also the point if you start working somewhere, 
you get to experience so much more. And then when you're going to travel within the country, you probably already met someone that's either from there or has been there or knows someone there. So you get more of the ins and outs than um, you might get if you're just traveling. Fast five. Five quick fire questions require five quick fire answers. My guests must answer five random questions about traveling without thinking too much. Are you ready for the fast five? Yes, I am. Okay. Question number one. Venus or Mars? Venus. Question number two. Mountains or beaches? Beaches. Question number three. Northern or southern? Southern. Question number four. Public or private? Public. Question number five. Pub or club? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time I've got a neither. Wow. (laughs) Club, did you say? Yeah, I think so. There you go. That's the fast five. Fast five. 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 Monique. Has travel had an impact on the type of person that you've become today? Oh, absolutely. I think um, there's no way it hasn't. It obviously made me a lot more independent. I mean, like to say I was always that, but you're not. But you're right around your, the way you grew up, right? You know, everyone and everything. You speak the language. Oh, yeah. Like, otherwise, I would never sleep on the curtains, in cars, on the beach, um, you know, hitchhiking, all of the stuff, you know. I think you get more dairy and more independent for sure. The fact that you've done a lot of solo travel as a female as well, have you come across any sticky situations or have you developed any particular strategies or can you share any stories where you've been able to uh, survive and grow from an experience in that sense? Uh, yeah, I think, well, if I would go to big cities, um, I mean, the common sense, especially if you go to countries that are less wealthy, you obviously make sure you don't have anything of value. Just don't have it because mm. they pick you out from miles away that you're a tourist and that you're by yourself. Like there's people trained like that. So if you want to like stay away at any crimes and stuff, don't have anything of value. Don't have any bags that possibly look like anything. <laughs> so I definitely learned around to walk around with plastic bags and no watches and stuff. Just in case I would never say to anyone that I was by myself in the country until I knew someone. Right. Like, I'm sure, again, like, you're not going to tell in the bar because you don't know who sits behind you and hears you. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just here by myself, staying in the hotel down the street, right? And that's, in my opinion, asking for trouble. It's not how it should be, but unfortunately, that's how it goes. But I think as well, like, as a female, you can use it to your advantage sometimes as well. Look at the situation with the train tickets and stuff. Sometimes you can become that, uh, you know, a couple of tears get a lot of work done. Yes. Sorry. A lot it. of kindness from, I imagine, the kind gentleman who will help you exactly so and then bye <laughs> thanks and then you use your elbows the next time like you know i, I have an advance i guess i'm i'm tall yeah. like i don't know and you know to keep your head up and whatever never show fear right but yeah i think i've definitely done stuff i shouldn't have been doing like walking in the middle of the night and like completely deserted areas or just taking hitchhike who from who whatever do people do that even anymore i don't know well i'm sure there's a level of it So I was having a chat with another guest on the podcast and we were talking about, you know, when you're traveling, every situation, there is potentially a risk. Yeah, I guess. But if you just think about the risk and whether you're willing to take that risk or whether you can think about a different option, you have the choice, don't you? Same thing goes for if you want to carry an expensive looking bag, you know, or stand out as a tourist. These are choices you can make which can increase or decrease the risk of what might happen. Absolutely. I think you do have to be a little bit aware. Again, if you're in the backpackers, 
well, I guess we've all been in backpackers and stuff got stolen anyways, but it's different. Like you can't control certain situations yeah. and things will go wrong at some point. You, you know, uh, you lose your passport. Um, I've heard people say on your podcast, you know, they've got stolen their money from, but it turned into positive environment. I think you have to, especially when you're traveling by yourself, there, something is going to happen. Mm. You just don't know what. So just try and stay safe, obviously, but enjoy it too, right? Because if you just be afraid all the time, then it's gonna suck. That's the point. And <laughs> you know, you take challenges like having strangers in my house on Airbnb was also some people would say, You're crazy. Mm. You just have a couple people in your house, a couple guys, maybe a couple girls, doesn't matter. You give them the key, you give them everything. Did I lock my bedroom door? No, never. So I don't know. I, I, I assume people are just, if I'm good, they are gonna be good to me ish. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a, a matter of perspective, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. some people who would never do that would see you as a crazy person for doing that because they would never do it themselves. And I come from a, an area of the world where people can be quite um, untrusting and people can be quite fearful of foreign people. But I have thrown that perspective away because I don't want to think that way. And I've been a person who has been a couch surfer, who has been a guest in an Airbnb in somebody else's house. And I've relished and really appreciated that experience. It's been wonderful. So I would want to, if I had a, an apartment like you had in, in Toronto, I would be more than happy to be on the other side of that and would be trusting. And I wouldn't be afraid of foreign people because I would want to embrace them. That's just a different perspective and a different mindset that I've created myself, but it's been born out of my traveling experiences. I want to be someone who thinks that everyone is good first rather than everyone is bad first. I 100% agree. And language barriers are so much fun too, because I had the problem when I was going in the country, but I also had guests staying with me that had no idea how to speak English, but you didn't know that because Airbnb is really good with their app. It automatically translates it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it sounds funny sometimes, but we all text sometimes and it doesn't make any sense. So, and then you talk to someone, you're like, how was your trip? And they just look at you. I'm like, (laughs) I have no idea what you just asked me. I'm like, man, and they're also by themselves, right? So then it's great to try and make them feel welcome and make them trust you at least. So they trust the next person again. Like, because people gave me an opportunity, now I want to give them an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I guess. it's reciprocal. After all this COVID stuff, hopefully, disappears. Do you have any dream destinations that you want to visit? Well, I have two high on my list. That completely different. I really, I, I don't know if you've ever been, but I really want to go to Iceland. I have not been. No, I see so many pictures, and the good thing is from Iceland. I mean, you could go for a long time, but I don't think people go for a very long time. It's more like a five-day, seven-day, um, either do a tour. I've, I looked into it a few times. and It's just such a different nature, like something so incredible. Um, and I really want to go to to Africa. Particular countries? Well, I, I'm with a guy. He's from Kenya, so I'd love to know where he comes from. He um, came to Toronto 20 years ago as well, funny enough. Um, but also really just always wanted to do a safari. So that might as well combine those two together. I've never done a safari. I've never been in, in, a, in a jungle, really. Not even when you were living in, in Queensland, in Northeast Australia. Well, it's different. There's no giraffes <laughs> and, and tigers. It's koalas. Yeah, there's, some, there's some dangerous birds that live up there. Oh, Australia's dangerous. They have sharks, they have crocodiles, they have everything. My dad was not impressed that I went to Australia. <laughs> But uh, there are some scarier things than crocodiles and sharks. So it's all about perspective, isn't it? Exactly. Those little tiny spiders. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm not afraid for animals or things. So I, 
as you know, I don't eat them, so maybe they don't eat me either. <laughs> right, Monique, I have one final question I'd like to ask of you. If you can offer from your own experiences any kind of advice for travelers. Just go. Don't plan, just go. Maybe I should say that if you never traveled before, from my experience, try and arrive during the day and try and find at least two nights of accommodation because it isn't that simple as it sounds when you get to a strange country to find a place to sleep. So I think if you do that, just go and travel and meet people, right? And just as you've done as well, I'm sure you, you talk to someone, they'll bring you on an idea and you'll go follow that path. Be a little bit prepared, at least in the beginning, but also be courageous and just commit and go for it. Yeah, don't plan everything. Maybe plan the first couple of nights of sleep in a new country just because you just don't know how you feel off coming off a flight and then you have somewhere to go. And from there, you'll, you know, you get a good night's sleep and you go meet people and travel and be spontaneous. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Talk to people. Talk to people. Awesome. Well, there you go. Thanks for coming on. Really great to catch up. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. And uh, next time I'm in Canada, whenever that will be. Yeah, come visit in Mississauga. It'd be great. New experience. The suburbs. Yeah, I've never been to Mississauga. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. My guest has been Monique Huffens. There are more episodes in this podcast series where you can hear different stories from other travellers. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me at The Nostalgic V. Thanks to Tom Forfer for creating the soundtrack to the series. Don't forget... Your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Monique Guffins. Did I say it right? Guffins. That's okay. That's the English version. I would say Guffins. Guffins. Yeah. Monique Guffins. Got it.